Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to the webinar of the LSE Center and the Society for Algerian Studies. The title, as, as, as I just said, is 60 years of higher education in Algeria, talking about ch achievement, challenges, and opportunities. We have for this event three confirmed speakers, and we also have a fourth speaker who is trying to join us. Uh, but in the meantime, I would like to welcome, it's an honor to welcome Professor Munir Berreh, who is a, a professor of robotism and engineering, uh, uh, graduated from uh, MIT uh, with a very long experience. He led uh, the Ecole Polytechnique of, of, of Algiers and uh, for a good decade. And then he uh, uh, led the Office of National Statistics and uh, he uh, led the digitizations and, uh, and the data uh, revolution in Algeria. After that, he was a general secretary of the Ministry of Higher Education and Scientific Research in, in Algeria for, for about a year. And he, uh, he just uh, finished his, his cycle before going back to academia as a member of the government in charge of statistics and uh, digital transformations. So it's, it's a pleasure to welcome uh, Professor Munir that I, I, I was one of his uh, uh, informal students and uh, uh, Professor Munir will be talking mainly about the historical background with a focus on its evolution perspective, tackling uh, the issues of innovations and the impact of economic development. So he will be looking at whether our higher education system in Algeria does feed the evolution on the economic side. Uh, the same honor is for Professor Khawla Talib Ibrahimi, uh, a true scholar in, 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 in the linguist, linguism studies. Uh, uh, Khawla will be talking about the Arabizations, Arabic language, and also uh, the identity and the multilinguist in the context of uh, higher education or the Algerian university. So Khawla is, is a professor of uh, science of languages and uh, she's a, a social linguist and didactic. Uh, she is also a research laboratory director of University Algiers II. Uh, she defended her thesis, the PhD in science of language at the University of Grenoble in 1991. So uh, Khawla has many books. I will not sign all of them, but uh, uh, the one is, 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 it has been, had a lot of notoriety, uh, Les Algériens, Leur Langue, Elements pour une approche socio-linguistique uh, de la société algérienne. Uh, Khawla is also published with the CREAD in 2001 on uh, the challenges uh, and the globalizations and the challenges and stakes of uh, linguistism. Uh, finally, uh, she wrote for l'école uh, algérienne au périsme des langues de la scolarisation in uh, une revue an in international uh, journal of education. Uh, welcome, Khawla. It's, it's a privilege to have You're you. You're welcome. Thank you. Very welcome. So uh, we will be looking for, for your, your, your talk and presentation. Uh, also, uh, Hayat Misakhar, uh, uh, a leader of the English language in the Algerian contest, another professor from University of Algiers II, uh, I think Buzaria. Hayat is a consultant for the British Council. Uh, she led the English uh, department, English language department in University of Buzaria. 
she is very active and the true defender of the English language in, in the context of Algeria. She is a senior trainer for teachers of English language in, in Algeria. So uh, she also uh, wrote a research in uh, her research interest include teaching training, as, as we said, as a foreign language. Uh, she recently co-authored a book chapter with uh, the fourth speaker, hopefully he can join us, Mohammed Meliani, the language situation of the 21st century Algeria, navigating and the ideology. So welcome Hayat, thank you very much for accepting to join us on a weekend in Algeria. On thank the you, Elias. And just, just for the record, um, I'm, um, I work for the uh, Ecole Normale Supérieure of Algiers, not the University of Algiers too. So we are just neighbors. Okay, apologies, apologies. Thank you. Thank you, Hayat. And uh, our fourth speaker was supposed to be Mohammed Meliani. Hopefully, Mohammed can, can join us. Also, Hi, Mohammed. I'm here. <laughs> uh, Mohammed is here. Thank you, Mohammed. So, Hi, welcome. Hola. Finally, you managed to, to join us. So, uh, Professor Meliani, uh, a co author of Hayat, a professor of also of, uh, of English language. Uh, he's from University of Oran, too. Uh, he specializes in education and teaching language as a foreign language, uh, but also Mohammed has got the heart of uh, being uh, uh, literally a member of the working committee for the Ministry of Higher Education for the teaching quality since 2011. And, uh, and, and hopefully he will be talking on uh, the curriculum enhancement and uh, teaching quality framework. So this is the plan. Uh, hopefully the talk will not be more than, 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 than 10 minutes. Uh, you will be giving the opportunity to ask questions at the end. So we will take questions via the chat, uh, the Q&A. Uh, so you will be typing the question in the Q&A. If you look at the bottom band, it's on the right-hand side of, of your Zoom. Do not write in, in the chat box because we will not be monitoring the chat box. Thank you very much indeed. I will give the floor to Professor Munir Barrah. Thank you, Professor Elias. Thanks for your nice words. Uh, my, my presentation is uh, entitled 60 Years of Higher Education in Algeria, Elements of Reflection and Analysis. I want to say that a number of information and uh, statistics have been taken from background documents of the Ministry of Higher Education and Scientific Research. Uh, as for the presentation, and as you can see in the table of contents, it will have uh, two major parts. The first part will be a general overview that will deal with uh, historical evolution. And the second part will have to do with the higher education national economy three-way. As for the historical background, I'll go very fast. At independence, we only had three institutions, the Algiers University and annexes in Oran and Constantine. And we had less than 2,000 students uh, with 1% female and a staff of less than 250 faculty members. Um, uh, in terms of evolution, the higher education sector has experienced significant development and uh, it has produced about 5.6 million grades. And currently we're having about 370,000 graduates per year. Um, the uh, current picture of the higher education sector to the best of my uh, knowledge and information, 
back in 2021, we had a higher education network of 100 institutions distributed all throughout the national territory, with universities, university centers, the Ecole and Ecole Normale Supérieure. The access to higher education is done through or an orientation system that is dealt with exclusively via dedicated digital platforms that accounts for the results obtained during the baccalaureate, which is the final year exam at high school, and the choice made by the baccalaureate holder and, of course, the availability of pedagogical fees. Access to higher education is to be in one of these five criteria that are well known. And the, uh, the student enrollment in 2021 is as follows, 1.6 million students that are in higher education institutions with 18,000 students in other ministerial department institutions and 2,000 students in private institutions. We can see that the major part is by far within the higher education institutions. We also have about 63,000 faculty members with 36% of higher ranking. In terms of distribution of students by fields and by gender, we can see that two thirds of our students are basically in human and social sciences, while we have one third in science and technology and medical sciences. In terms of uh, student enrollment by gender, we can see that we have 64% female and 36% male. Now I'll move on to the uh, second part of my presentation. And uh, I can say that the higher education sector is uh, committed to uh, really setting up uh, bridges towards the national economy in, in such a way that students or graduates can either rely on support systems for integration and employability or on entrepreneurship support program or get into innovation. In terms of support systems for professional integration of graduates and better employability, this is being handled by the so-called Business University Liaison Office. And the main goal of this entity is to aim to for faster professional integration uh, through a partnership with stakeholders in the economic sector. So here we're really working on improving employability and having graduates get into the labor market. As for entrepreneurship support program, we have is uh, the so-called universities house of entrepreneurship, which are entities that are belonging to uh, universities, that are university facilities. And these are uh, a tool on which the ANAD, which is the National Agency for the Development of Entrepreneurship, relies to raise awareness among students and initiate them into the act of entrepreneurship in partnership with the business sector. So real, really here, we, we, we're, we're, we're working on aiming to create added value and jobs through a business territorial network supporting the local economic development. The uh, process of having uh, a University House of Entrepreneurship started back in 2014, and it is being generalized across the national territory. In addition to this house of entrepreneurship, we can speak uh, about incubators. Uh, indeed, university startups incubators are a way to support students and research project ideas implementation through a partnership 
program between two departments, two sectors that are higher education on one hand, the economy and startups department by providing, by providing assistance and financial support, technical and financial support from the so-called Algerian Startups Fund. And we also uh, mentioned that there are different cooperation programs with internalization and major companies. Now, we, uh, I want to speak about innovation that is leverage for efficient economic development. And I will start by giving uh, a landscape of our national system for scientific research, technological development and uh, innovation. And uh, we can see through this slide and the following one, that it, uh, it's really not limited to pure academia, but it, is, it goes way beyond while it is bridges towards uh, ministerial sectors that are different from higher education sector. And uh, we're having also R&D centers within public and economic companies. What is worth uh, noting is that we have three thematic research agencies and also a horizontal research agency that aims at valorizing the results of research development and innovation, the so-called Enverdet. In addition to a number of national incubators that are seven technical grounds, technical technology platforms, and so on. Now I want to finish up on this uh, innovation part, in, uh, some examples of the contribution of the higher education sector to economic development, research, and innovation projects. And I want to cite the example of the Renewable Energy Development Center conducting research and development programs on energetic systems. And um, I will cite here projects that have been uh, implemented. The first is the design and the production of, of a photovoltaic plant of nine kilowatt peak, which is being implemented in the site of Tindouf, that is in the southern part of Algeria. We also want to mention a study of high temperature solar plants for Sevital, that is an Algerian private company group. And uh, also project dealing with uh, evaluation of food waste by solar drying for AgroTheme. There is an Algerian private company group and this action relies on a scientific and technical support agreement. Finally, I wanna speak about the engineering and design of a number of photovoltaic systems that have been deployed in 10 gas stations along the East-West Highway from Naftal that belongs to state-owned state oil company. And uh, the other example of th that I want to talk about is the one dealing with the CDTA, that is the Advanced Technologies Development Center, that really uh, supports the national level of uh, at the state-of-the-art technologies in a number of thematic fields, such as robotics, Industry 4.0, virtual reality, AI, AI, nanotechnology, microelectronics, and so on. And I want to finish up by speaking about the other, that is the uh, agency for valorization of results of research, and it really supports the economic growth through innovation. So it identifies and selects R&D projects to be valued, promotes the transfer of new technologies to the economic sector, and develops and promotes the cooperation between the research sector and the socioeconomic sector. As a conclusion, I want to say that the higher education sector has gone through several periods of development and has undergone significant changes. Today, once again, the higher education sector is called upon to play a major role in the political renewal project advocated by the public authorities 
mainly in relations with the National Economy Recovery Plan, in which innovation and knowledge are getting privileged priority to efficiently support the new model of growth. Thanks for your attention. Professor Berrah, thank you very much indeed. Thank you, Elias. I will articulate my intervention on three focuses. Um, the first one is that we have to deal with the importance of the historical, of the background of the country in all uh, its dimensions, historical, social, political, cultural, and economical. Even in the long historical term, uh, including the period before uh, 1830 and uh, the colonial shock and after uh, 1962, uh, we are in the, now in the year, we are celebrating 60 years of the independent Algeria. Maybe uh, the hazardous of the political management of the country by the Algerian authority the different circles of decision makers since uh, uh, 1962 make us think that we are not observing a real language policy, even a real educational policy. Maybe it is a reactive policy more than a policy thought and planned with a vision, a vision of the future of the country. In the same time, I think that the lack of democracy and the nature of, the, of the, 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 the Algerian political power, building a patrimonial state and authoritarian state, um, had building uh, policies, the policies took the form of a top bottom process, not, and not giving a place for a real debate with the citizens even about such important issues like we are discussing now. I will focus in the second time on Arabization. I will not present a boring review of all the measures that the different governments since 1962 had carried out within what we call policy of Arabization or Arabization policy because I think that we have a very abundant literature on that. Uh, mine, Mohammed Berrabah, uh, uh, research in, 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 and publication in many languages, English, French, Arabic, etc. I will say only what is Arabization? Arabization in the comprehension of the Algerian authorities is uh, 1962 and maybe before 1962 in the uh, what we call the national movement for the liberation of Algeria is um, means restore Arabic language in the policy of the state in the society make uh, the Arabic language recover its place its status in the new state. We can say, I can say that the objective, this object, that objective was achieved. Arabic language is the first national language, the official language in all the constitutions made by the new state since 1976. 
It's the first language in all the level, uh, levels of educational system, uh, etc. But in this, at the same time, if you agree that language policy and language planning can be defined as a conscious intervention to change the use of languages in a society, uh, we can say that Algerian policy felt even to try to apply what they call GUN, uh, the law for generalization, uh, the use of uh, the national language, and it means here Arabic language, in the 19th and the first years of this century. Why? That I uh, will try to focus on it. I think that Arabization, the policy of Arabization, uh, led by uh, Algeria since I think the 70s, led to several crises, several and different crises. The first one is that the site, the society is a plurilingual society. We have in the same time, when we speak about Arabic language, we have to observe that the Algerian still now, and it's a reality, we have to manage it, speak the vernaculars, Arabic vernaculars. And in this, at the same time, we have the Berber vernaculars. And uh, for uh, persons and specialists, we know that uh, the politic of Arabization policy, Arabization policy, had made many, 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 many problems with the recognition of verbal language. I will not uh, speak about what happens in uh, Algeria uh, with the struggle of the verbal uh, cultural movement. And uh, finally, now, Tamazight uh, is the second national language, and maybe the language. Uh, the second uh, official language, but we have here uh, to speak about uh, the problem of uh, uh, managing uh, Berber, teaching Berber, teaching Tamazight, etc. It's, it's a very, very complex problem. But before uh, I, I speak about a very clenching, I will uh, only um, present some words about the, the problem of the teaching French and French in uh, Algeria. Uh, French language is uh, still represented as, uh, as the, the, the language of the former colonial power is in my point of view as a sociolinguistic, the third language in Algeria. We have Arabic, we have Tamazight, and we have French, because French is still present in the society, in the large spread. Maybe we have to uh, speak about that in the debate if there is question. I will focus on Arabic, uh, language Arabic, and language Arabic in education and in higher education now. And it is the, maybe the, the, the most important um, focus for me. When we see what, what is happened in the schools uh, in Algeria, 
primary, secondary, and high uh, high school and or high higher education, um, we have to observe that the uh, problem is that uh, Arabic is not teaching. Uh, we are not teaching Arabic as a modern language. We are not teaching Arabic. Uh, like uh, uh, a live, a living language in 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 its profundity, its sociolinguistic profundity. I, I I don't know how we call it in English, but je vais le dire en français. On n'enseigne pas la la langue arabe dans sa profondeur sociolinguistique et dans sa profondeur culturelle. Uh, we have made the choice to uh, uh, teach uh, a, a very power language so that the the uh, pupils and students, when they finish uh, the school before uh, university, they don't master uh, Arabic language. They don't have a very good fluency in Arabic language. I, I teach, I do teach in Arabic. So I can speak about this for hours if you want. So the weakness of uh, fluency of uh, the Algerian uh, pupils, sorry, pupils and students in one minute Paula. okay then we have to reform all our methods to teach arabic language and to manage how we can teach the other languages french english etc because there is a, a real problem and uh, munir uh, knows that knows that very well we have an arabic school from the first year to the baccalaureate. And then when the student come to university, if they don't uh, go to the uh, humanities and languages and the psychology, sociology, history, philosophy, etc., while uh, in Arabic, they have to go to the scientific uh, university. And then a shock. All these universities teach in French. We have, and I have asked that from two decades, in three decades, what is the cost of the Arabization policy? We have Arabization all the school and not the, the, the university. And then what we do, the students, that go to the great university of science technology they have to reference themselves kelgashi i have heard munir very well but he speaks about the scientific fields in the university what about uh, humanities what about the problem of languages in uh, in uh, in our university uh, I'm very astonished that, that the, our colleagues in uh, in this scientific university don't focus on the problem of language for the years. Uh, in, I don't know. In the debate, maybe I will uh, I will uh, develop this question, these issues. Thank you very much. Thank you, Khawlaat. Hayat, over to you. Okay, I will try to be um, to be quick. Um, so thank you, Elias. Um, first of all, many thanks to the LSE Middle uh, East Center and the Society for Algerian Studies uh, 
for having me uh, today. Special thanks to Ilyas Bukrami, Nadine Al-Manafsi, and Al-Manafsi, sorry, and Adel Hamaziya. Um, so before I dive into the, the my talk on English in the Algerian HE Challenges and Perspectives, um, I would like to share to say that I'm going to be sharing my personal perspective from a pedagogical standpoint. Uh, thank you to uh, uh, Professor Khawla Talib Brahimi for uh, laying the ground for me, uh, because I wanted to start by the language situation in Algeria, which she has covered uh, mostly. So I will just uh, focus on a few uh, points in this respect. Um, so knowing Algeria is as a multilingual, multicultural uh, country, Algerians speak two main languages, mother or mother tongues, uh, Algerian Arabic and known as Derja and Tamazir with their different geographical or regional varieties. Um, the status of the language, as Khawla said, is set in the constitution and any changes in language uh, use or language policy are stipulated through decrees and, and laws. Um, so first, as Khawla said, uh, modern standard Arabic or Fusha is the medium of instruction um, in schools. It has been um, it has the, the status of the official language, uh, which it had right after the independence in the constitution of 1963 and then 1976 and then subsequent uh, constitutions. And Tamazir was granted official uh, language status and national first and then official language in 2002 and then 2016. Um, so instruction from K through 12 is done through um, modern standard Arabic or Fusha. French is introduced now in grade three, English in grade six, and Tamazir is also taught as a school subject in different cities, in different levels, but there are a lot of uh, discrepancies across the different cities. In 1993, there was an attempt to introduce English uh, in primary schools where parents had to choose between French or English. Most uh, parents, of course, uh, have chosen uh, French, and this whole initiative, in fact, was, was a failure, and uh, I think uh, that there is room there for research to really look at why it you know it failed we do have our own perspective as as academics and uh, pedagogues and we do also teach other foreign languages which is important to note um, german spanish uh, italian and others in the 1990s these additional languages uh, have been have been uh, made optional um, and so this had other repercussions in their teaching in higher education um, later on um, so as Hawla said um, students or are taught in Arabic until the baccalaureate exam. And then when they join universities, um, they switch to French, um, uh, sorry, uh, Arabic is used across all the disciplines except for the medical field and the STEM where uh, the education becomes in French. And the only exception of course is if you major in French, English, Spanish, Turkish, you would be using those uh, those languages. Um, however, I'm you know, just, um, mapping the language, uh, the languages and how they are used in education. So it may seem to be uh, simple, but in fact, it's not that simple and it's not that neutral because all these languages, um, especially the main ones, ones are ideologically uh, positioned. Um, so in recent years, indeed, there is uh, in the realm of higher education, there have been a dominant discourse around English as the language for development. Uh, and there was a powerful official narrative uh, around strengthening English language provision in higher education. And this uh, uh, seems to be a strategic uh, choice uh, from the Ministry of Higher Education and Scientific Research. Of course, there are forces uh, that have uh, pushed, I think, for this position. There is an organic demand for English across the board 
from students, from faculty, uh, from non-academic staff, uh, because you know, if we look at the high registration in English language uh, courses in private language centers, but also in intensive language teaching centers in universities, there is high demand uh, for English. Uh, and this is, of course, because the, that there is desire to increase uh, student and uh, scholar uh, mobility. Um, also, there is uh, the requirements for publishing uh, in international peer review journals for, uh, uh, for faculty members. Um, uh, also, universities, higher education institutions in general, um, they, 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 there is this need to enhance their uh, institutional uh, visibility uh, internationally. Um, and this, you know, go, does uh, or English contributes a lot uh, to this. Um, in addition, of course, to teaching quality, research quality, and graduate employability, because indeed English is a, is a skill for employability. It does enhance graduate employability when they do master English as an additional skill. Uh, also, um, English is very uh, is necessary for knowledge transfer, communication, business diplomacy uh, with the rest of the world. So, and I think in the in the long run, I think the ministry is really looking at. Um, um, uh, strengthening English language uh, in higher education also to increase international intake, I think, in the long run and to increase attractiveness and competitiveness. However, there are a few challenges here, and I think the main ones uh, have uh, are related uh, to strengthening the English language provision in, a in HE because it will not happen overnight. It cannot be just a decision because there is, so motivation is there, which is true, um, but it needs strategic uh, planning. Uh, it needs uh, uh, to to, uh, the sector needs to have a to prioritize which sectors uh, English would be uh, applied uh, to, but also priorities in terms of budgeting because this will have a cost. Um, and also from a, from a purely pedagogical perspective, uh, before doing that, we need to have some baseline work which is needed in the, in the field. Some field work, uh, surveying the student, the teachers, their proficiency level, because it's very important. So we cannot just switch overnight and, and without uh, paying attention to these, uh, to these aspects. Uh, also, um, I think currently, uh, if we look across the board, you know, uh, teachers and students, they, they do have a limited proficiency in English that needs to be addressed beforehand, before doing, you know, any formal, uh, taking any formal decisions to switch to English. There is some work that needs to be done uh, beforehand. And uh, although I have to mention that sometimes, you know, across the STEM, many students uh, do master English and they do master English quite well. I sometimes sit in committees uh, for scholarships overseas, and I'm always uh, amazed by the level of the English language proficiency of students in the STEM. So they really got it. They know that they need to master English for their scholarship, for research, for development, for innovation to go overseas. So there is, they are very cognizant about that. Um, I think also uh, switching to English will create challenges in terms of providing equitable quality education um, because um, there, there is always this risk in terms of the socioeconomic divide of the people or of the students from affluent you know, parents that can afford private tuition and private schools, et cetera, that can develop their English, while how about the rest of the, the population that cannot afford that. Uh, also centralization, all higher education institutions 
come under the auspices of the Ministry of Higher Education and Scientific Research. And I think centralization can be both an enabling and a hindering factor because it does have the, the, the force and the policy, the, the force rather of policy of deciding on support, on financing. And sometimes if there are initiatives that can be done, they can be implemented um, you know, in different institutions. Um, so it can be, it, it can serve, I think, both uh, can be an enabler and uh, a hindrance at some times. Uh, but also there is always this risk, you know, of when we, you, you have the skilled, you know, uh, graduates, the risk of having skilled migration or, you know, if we call it brain drain, etc. Um, and there is also this, you know, the, 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 um, the risk of the Western hegemony. So we have to be really careful in terms of our, um, of the, the curricula, making sure we decolonize them, that they are fit for purpose, but at the same time, Time, they are rooted in the local context, which is very important. Um, now I will move quickly to the opportunities. And I think when we when we think of English and higher education, there are a lot of opportunities, I think, for collaboration, um, um, you know, with, with uh, foreign institutions or universities overseas, whether we are talking of bilateral or multilateral uh, cooperation, uh, because uh, in terms of developing, for example, uh, student faculty and students' uh, proficiency, uh, we need to think of some de developing language support programs and there are uh, universities overseas that have a lot of experience that have you know worked on their internationalization so they can really provide uh, or help in terms of developing these support uh, programs for faculty whether it's in the stem or in other uh, disciplines because this will influence really the and speed up the english language provision in higher education uh, also um, developing virtual or exchange programs um, uh, institutional linkages, partnerships, and here sometimes I think individuals can play an important role. And we do have, you know, a lot of alumni, for example, that can be really good agents in linking their home universities here in Algeria and overseas. Um, there are opportunities for developing joint or double degree programs, but this needs some regulatory framework. So there is there is always uh, some. Uh, if you want some this the system to system collaboration that needs or that we need to look at and i think finally just to conclude just for the sake of time uh, I think we, we all know that English is very important. Um, it is developing in higher education. There is demand. There are already uh, students who are trying to write their uh, thesis and defend in English. Uh, the ministry has been uh, supporting or encouraging students to do that. And uh, however, th there is really a tiny uh, minority of students who are able to do that because you will need you know, faculty to be uh, that master English, that can supervise the students in English, etc. cetera. Um, so we, we need to gather some credible, quantifiable data. And right now, I think this is uh, either non-existent or difficult, um, but this is something that needs to be done. Um, there are uh, um, goals which are both quantitative and qualitative, which I think uh, this is under the remit of the Ministry of Higher Education and Scientific Research, because they are the decision maker that can make, that can take those Decisions. So all in all, I think we are uh, cognizant that even if we uh, strengthen the position of and the provision of English in higher education um, because of the status of English as a, as a commodity for enhancing educational and economic development, the other factors are also needed. So we cannot think just that English is going to be a panacea. So there are other, you know, um, um, other initiatives and other measures uh, that need uh, to be taken because they they need uh, um, very good institutional governance, 
mobilizing resources, funding uh, patterns, etc., that are not in place yet. So the environment, I would say, for developing English is favorable. Um, there is a very good positive attitudes which are there, uh, but I think the ecosystem uh, is not ready yet, and we have to uh, depoliticize, you know, the language, uh, the language, you know, aspect. So it's not in terms of choosing one language at the expense of another language or adding English and subtracting another language. So we would like to go for um, an additive multilingualism and not for a subtractive uh, one. Thank you, and I hope I, 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 I think I didn't go beyond the time, uh, Elias. Thank you. Professor Meliani, over to you. Good afternoon, all. Of, of course, the title uh, was suggested by uh, my colleagues, and it was then about the curriculum enhancement and quality teaching. But as you can guess, well, uh, that starts uh, early because then we, we have then to go back then to uh, the situation before 2004, which is the beginning of the, uh, of the uh, LMD reform. And you have in front of you here, well, a number of uh, criticisms that made uh, by a number of participants, stakeholders. Uh, the first one was that uh, the architecture, uh, the training was somehow tubular, which means you start somewhere and you end up, all students end up then uh, uh, in the same kind of training. Then it's monodisciplinary, not professionally oriented. Um, there was nearly no updating uh, as far as knowledge was concerned. Uh, exams were then, of course, the, uh, the, the big chunk then in the training. Uh, specialization uh, was a bit uh, premature. Then, of course, the, uh, the um, well, let, let's say the everlasting problem of transmission, acquisition, and restitution of knowledge was somehow then very outdated. And of course, that needed then some kind of uh, programmatic design, meaning then diversification, specialization, and professionalization. Um, right. Uh, one of the key issues for some, not me, uh, but for some, then it was then whether the reform had to be, uh, was justified somehow. Um, I gave you then, well, the four stakeholders. First, the union. The union did find that, uh, that it was somehow essential that we, uh, we started some kind of uh, reshuffling of the system. One, but they were not, on, uh, of course, uh, they are more or less political. And that's why they were more concerned with uh, a system which produced failure and the unemployed. We teachers then, of course, were not happy with the uh, teaching content, but of course, also then with the traditional evaluative techniques. So somehow, and you have a percentage, because this is something I did previously, it's in some kind of uh, field work with students and teachers, and all of them then knew, okay, from the start, where they were going when uh, it started in 2004. Now, concerning students, then of course, then they were complaining about their content, their disciplinary content, but what was useful for them was the personal projects, and you see here, 84 plus students then were happy with that. Um, one of the problems was then the professional integration of students, but it wasn't that big. The percentage was just 45%. And 
And of course, uh, they were all of them then against them, uh, this learning erudition, which the previous university was really concerned about. And of course, based on memorization, and you see how high the percentage is. Then, of course, the institution had to say something. And then uh, I'm going to join you uh, because you asked me whether I could write something on curriculum enhancement and quality. And I'm quoting then, of course, the ministry, where you see that they are saying a new teaching architecture, because that's the way uh, we started with. When I say we, of course, I was uh, involved because I was the project leader for foreign languages. Okay, I am Mr. LMD, as it were. Uh, so the teaching architecture then uh, helped then us then to upgrade and update the various educational program. And this is curriculum enhancement. The other side of the coin is this reorganization of pedagogical management, uh, really two criteria, efficiency and effectiveness. Why? It's because then we have uh, this outside between brackets, danger of internationalization of higher education. Right, well, what did then this 2004 uh, suggest? It was, I, I think, uh, another vision. Uh, it's performance requirements, knowledge production, and not simply uh, tr transmission of or imported knowledge, pedagogical uh, innovation and international mobility. So I'm not going to say much about the Bologna process. You may not be interested. So what, what were the objectives of the uh, LMD framework? Diversification of training profiles to avoid this uh, tubular approach. Legibility of the training offers, because then we were talking about employability and students' mobility. The other one then was uh, retraining students somehow, the possibility of adding more. And of course, that goes along with the lifelong learning with self-learning and self-training. And then you have here the qualitative approach because from, I think it was 2008, I was with the ministry and uh, we organized an international colloquium and it was then about quality. And of course, uh, one of the key issue for us then is how do we determine uh, this quality? Quality is understood as continuous improvement and because well, there are other, definitions, but that was not the, uh, the ministry's concern. Now, if we talk about curriculum enhancement, of course, uh, the, the first thing uh, we, we were obliged, I say, as I said, because I had to, to travel uh, uh, throughout Algeria, okay, and uh, this curricular approach then was done out of necessity because uh, things were done progressively and you know perfectly well that the start date was 2004 and we ended up by 2011 okay where the uh, the system was generalized and and then of course you have with that well, what i call the uh, accompanying pedagogy uh, everybody talking about tutoring uh, talking about uh, competency based approaches the types of evaluation the training of teachers and of course, you have then uh, this uh, legislation, which try then to help, if you want, uh, try to focus on this CBE. Uh, but unfortunately, of course, when you, you apply it, uh, things are not done um, everywhere in the same way. Uh, I wrote an article uh, at the Insaniet Le Kratsk 2017, okay, where I said that the problem 
with the, uh, the reform, it's implementation. And of course, one of the key issues, which uh, also the ministry was aware of, it's this professionalization of content, because in 2016, I was also involved uh, because there was uh, a national colloquium and uh, the ministry tried then to analyze and evaluate how far the reform went. And of course, the complaint was that too much academic and less professional uh, training, okay? If we speak about quality teaching, of course, that started in 2010. In 2010, I was also involved in what used to, uh, to be said, uh, called uh, La Commission d'Implementation de l'Assurance Qualité. And we worked, okay, uh, until 2014. And we worked on this quality assurance framework, which is uh, published um, 2016, I guess. Okay, and uh, the key issue in quality teaching is visibility. And you see how low we are uh, ranked. Employability, and well, this is an old kind of slogan, l'adéquation uh, formation emploi. Student mobility, okay, which is, I guess, uh, just wishful thinking. And of course, pedagogical change, or whether we call that uh, revolution and innovation. But the idea by the ministry was then to teach differently. Where do we go from here? I guess there are three key issues we, which we have then to take on board. The first one is this competition because we have to compete uh, with other uh, institutions. Okay, this international and of course transborder education because we are we are also partners with African universities and we need them to, to be visible. There's this notion of excellence, of course, maybe this is maybe too high a level to reach, but however, if we speak about quality and measuring performance, then things might be uh, changing. Last point, but not least, is privatization. Well, it's been in the agenda of the, uh, the government, but I'm not sure we'll, uh, we'll see something like it. Okay, well, we have small institutions which are uh, private, but I guess um, we, it's not at a large scale. Last question is, if we pay attention to these key issues, uh, will that impact pedagogy and didactics in the future? Of course it will, okay? But maybe uh, we have also to think in terms of what do we put inside, okay? It's a question of national education because people are coming with uh, a baccalaureate, which is not at the level of our expectations as university teachers. And of course, what, what we are going then to pay attention to is what are we going then to produce at the end of the day and whether that goes with the demand and exigencies of the 21st century. Thanks so much. Thank you. Professor Meliani, it's me again. Thank you very much indeed. So we have, uh, thank you for respecting the time. We have about 10 minutes to, to, to ask you a few questions. We have an incredible good question from Adel, Adel Hamaizia, who is saying that, can you share thoughts on what government is doing to mitigate the brain drain uh, of funded scholarship students? What are the incentives, carrots for returning? What are sticks for not returning? And linked to uh, this has been the program of national uh, exception, uh, exceptional PNU, 
has been successful as a question mark. I'll add to Adele, uh, I am actually in, in France, and as you know, colleagues, France have, 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 have opened positions for 2,000 doctors. Uh, 1,200 are from Algeria, 1,200, 60%. Uh, 2,000 doctors for 24 countries. So Algeria, one country, 60%. So the floor is, is yours, uh, Mohamed or Professor Munir. Yeah, I might have to say a word about that, but this is more political. So I'll leave the floor then uh, to see Munir, and then I'll, I'll take it from there. Well, uh, yeah. yeah, this is yeah, a big question. It's, uh, it's a hot issue. <laughs> a hot issue by itself, uh, a theme for, uh, for, for, for a meeting. Uh, well, let, let's, let, let's first uh, make, make sure that we keep our brains here, those that are here already. It's our best to keep them here and uh, work on their uh, uh, conditions. Uh, what is what is what is what what we are capable of doing in order to have them, you know, stay in 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 good conditions. It is this is one one thing that is important. Now, uh, brain drain. Probably we should we should view the things the thing differently and 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 consider that brain mobility is possible. So, uh, and we could take advantage of this. Uh, you know, many, many countries have, uh, have brains abroad, but the thing is we need to make the link uh, stay between those brains and their home country. So uh, let's invest in brain mobility and have those people, you know, uh, help in all sorts of ways in university and, and their country in, in general manner. Well, I, I could start by, think, by saying that. Over to you, uh, dear Mohammed. Thank you. If, if you'd like. Right. Um, well, just to answer Elias, then, uh, first and foremost, this is a political issue uh, where we cannot do much. However, having said that, I, I wish then uh, we would be talking about quality and forget about then mass education. Because this is, if you want, the, uh, the end product, okay? We're just producing and we're not paying attention to what we are producing. And I guess uh, Khawla is going then maybe to share this view with me. It's because we are old hands. It's a question of the status of the teacher, university teacher in this country, okay? Um, I'm going then to retire soon. And let me tell you, the kind of status I had when I started my career, I was nearly at the top of the society. Today, I'm nobody. If you see uh, how I have traveled, okay, the world, what I have brought, and I stayed in this country when things were hard, okay? And simply the question of a salary, I'm not, I'm not into these questions, but having said that, there is a minimal thing you can give a teacher so that they wouldn't go. 1996, Khawla, you remember? Three months strike, three months strike. That is not believable, okay? When we know what people are getting as a status next door, okay? But this is the matter. Now I'm going then to be slightly, uh, excuse me, uh, a bit like, because we are the generation of Bumidian. It's no, also it's, it's, whatever you have at heart, okay? I stayed in this country when things were not that 
bright for us, okay? Every day you spend in an amphitheater, you wouldn't know whether you're going to stay alive or not. We stayed, we trained. Thank you. Marvel, uh, Marvel. Uh, I was, I was in, I am in the same situation, Mohammed, and you know that I'm, uh, I'm uh, for a few months, I will resign also. And uh, what we see that uh, maybe uh, we are the, the, the most poor people in this country. If you want Monir to uh, uh, let the Algerian uh, staying in his country, he will have a logement, will have a very good status, Definitely. medicine, teacher, engineer, uh, informatician. We are speaking about two, two, uh, 1,200 but we don't speak about the informaticians. We don't speak about the engineers. They, 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 they are all around the world, overseas. That's uh, I I totally agree, colleagues. I, I I can see this is really well as Mohammed said. This is a, a by definition. I will go further. A dev underdeveloped country is to feed developed country with resources, natural resources, human resources, and that paradox is not down to 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 specifically Algeria. So Mohammed said something interesting that I wrote in the synopsis is about the massification. It's obvious when you do massification you lose quality, um, uh, is, is when you centralize, you literally use creativity. That is, is basic. So, so and, and I'm really glad that you, you picked on this one. And I want how I have good questions for you and Hayat, I want to hear you more. I'm listening, I'm listening. Uh, and I want to hear uh, another good question that has been mm -hmm. asked from uh, Hiba. He's saying that given the historical context of Algeria with France, do you think that it will ever be possible for the English language to be as integrated as the French language? She's saying also it could be argued that if Algeria takes steps in attempting to decolonize education uh, system, it will be more incentive for people, specifically students to move towards English language. That question is for Hayat and Khawla. The floor is yours. My, my deep conviction is that if you want to uh, increase the edu educational uh, system in Algeria, you have to do uh, 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 what I, I'm going to uh, speak. First one, first of all, you have to improve uh, Arabic language teaching. It is the first language. If we want to decolonize, even to teach French in a decolonial uh, system. Uh, you, you have, first of all, uh, uh, improve Arabic language teaching. It is a very important language in the world. We have an abundant literature. We, we have to increase the proficiency of the teachers. We have to change methods. We have to uh, change uh, the um, uh, curricula in Arabic, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Maybe what 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 Mohammed said, if we uh, uh, apply this in uh, in the, for the Arabic, we will have uh, succeeded. The 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 second thing is 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 to improve Tamazight teaching. Uh, we have to. Uh, get out from uh, the uh, political uh, point of view uh, to manage this question, to uh, uh, present solutions 
practical solutions to improve uh, Tamazight teaching. We have to decolonize the French speaking, and I, I am convinced that in the young people, French is not uh, uh, like we, we felt it in our, uh, in our generations or for our parents. French is a language like uh, all the other language. Then the problem is not to shift from a language into an, an, uh, another language. English, okay. But do you have, do we have all the means, all the tools to uh, shift in the schools and in the higher education uh, from French to English. We didn't have uh, succeed in the Arabization to shift from French to Arabic. So we will succeed to shift from in, uh, French to, into uh, English with uh, uh, our lack of means. Adria is not now in uh, 2020, uh, uh, 2022, uh, didn't have the same uh, means. Uh, in fashion, financial, uh, etc., like uh, in 2000. And we have a very, very big challenge because we have 1,700,000 students, I, I guess, maybe 2 million, and a, a very important percentage of them will not find a job after uh, the university. Thank you, thank you, Khamla. Thank you so much. I mean, I mean, you have. I think uh, I I know what what, what you mean. Uh, you know, teaching in a language or speaking a language doesn't mean that you you think in that language. And I think that's 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 the missing point in the Arabization. We should not commit the same error. I think that is a takeaway uh, from 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 this discussion and from listening to you. I'd like to go to to Hayat. Hayat, over to you. What do you think about the shift to English? And what do you think about the previous question? Yeah, so I will start with the previous question that Adil has asked, and which is uh, purely in terms of you know the you know the scholarships and the programme national um, exceptionnel, the PNE. Um, I think there there are procedures in place because when the students sign up for this uh, for this program for this scheme, there are some criteria, there are some obligations, uh, and one of the obligations is to finish their their education overseas and to come back to serve in the country. For a couple of years, um, and so this is, you know, very clear. We sign up for something. There are obligations that you need to fulfill. When the students do not, I think there are clauses, and the ministry has um, um, specific procedures for that to bring those students back. Now, what I would like to say is that, uh, which I touched upon a little bit in my presentation, is that um, we need to have, you know, most postgraduate students when they finish their education, many of them would like to have a certain experience working in the host countries. Um, you know, uh, having some post doctoral programs or some academic training and I think this is this is I think we lost Hayat Elias yes can I jump in here <laughs> yes please uh, it's we going to be quick we were, we were talking uh Haula and I about the status of teachers I think we should not forget also the status of universities. 
And one of the key issue is autonomy of universities. Okay, why autonomy? Because, and of course you have maybe to open the door to the private sector, but autonomy is important because uh, we need to have people who are managers of these institutions, all right? It's like an entrepreneur, okay? If we stay, as I said, it's good, of course, I benefited from it, okay? Because this democratization, it was democratization because the baccalaureate was difficult to get, all right? We're not looking for an elite kind of selection, but we want a baccalaureate, which is worth it. Then you have the university. Can I remind people that I was director in the late 80s of the Institute of Foreign Languages, those who wanted to, to, to read English, they had to sit for another exam when they entered. They had to have the 12 at the back and they had to sit for the exam to be registered. Today, open doors. I was talking about quality and this is part and parcel of this quality, all right? But autonomy is precious because there we will see who is working with this quality references and framework Le référentiel national d'assurance qualité, it's important unless we apply it. And applying means to have people and have institutions because we have then to, to be accountable. It's a question of accountability and to be autonomous. Thank, Thank you, Mohamed. I will go back to Hayat. Hayat, we have less than five minutes to, to close. Yeah. The floor is yours. Yeah, sorry, I just, I ran out of battery. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so just, you know, uh, that was on the, the PNO program. Um, and I was thinking just, you know, on these additional trainings that the students can do, which will also be very beneficial, you know, to the, to the country, this is number one. And then in terms of with the English language, um, I think it cannot be just a purely, uh, you know, political decision because quite often it is purely politicized and we need to depoliticize it. The need of English is there, you know, there is, um, you know, awareness of the usefulness of, you know, mastering the English language. Uh, there, there is a lot of work that needs to be done in terms of preparing curricula, uh, you know, training teachers with the students, the support programs that need to be there. And I think in terms of using the is with the English language with replace the French language or not, you know, if from a purely, you know, a societal perspective, I think it needs really, you know, many, many years, maybe at least a generation, I think 10 to 20 years for that, you know, to happen, we need to have very, you know, pragmatic choices for these languages, um, you know, and as I said, it's not, you know, one language at the expense of the other, but, you know, what do I gain from this language, which are the, you know, the opportunities it will open up for me, and I think Algeria with its strategic position, you know, we will need, you know, the Arabic language for the, you know, with cooperation with the Middle East, we will need French, you know, with French speaking, you know, Africa, we need English, you know, with other, you know, countries. Um, so, you know, the choices have to be really pragmatic and um, motivated, well-informed decisions. And if these are to happen... Uh, I, I, I think that the most important question, if I can, Sure. Is can we can we manage can we build in Algeria a plurilingual school which we teach Arabic the, the two the two national languages Arabic and Tamazight and French and English and Turkish and Chinese and Russian and uh, African languages we don't have any African languages teach 
in, uh, taught in Algeria. And we are the most important uh, African country. Thank you, Khawla. Hayat, over to you. I, I, I will ask one more questions and I, I close uh, uh, the session. You can answer the, the questions back into the chat to, to the people, but there is one question uh, that I will be asking. It's, uh, it's about innovation budgets and innovation spending. Uh, so Mr. Lacrimi and Adele, they both said, uh, wh what is, what is the, the spending of the state in terms of R&D, in terms of research centers? Uh, Adele says it's about 0.54%, depending on, on the World Bank. Very so, low. Uh, yeah, that's, so the, the question is, so are we, are we going into a direction where are we going to invest more in the soft and, and in, in, in terms of research patterns, and, 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 and the brand of knowledge. Over to you. Well, if I, if I can jump in, uh, uh, I, I think that uh, we, we had a target of reaching 1% of GDP for, for research and we, uh, we started uh, way uh, uh, at, at relatively low figures, but now it is it, it is it is improving, and uh, you know that promoting uh, and enhancing innovation is not just a matter of of, of budgets, because uh, you 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 have absorption capacities. So we need to do things gradually, and you we need to have uh, to work on governments and to organize uh, our research. Um, landscape or research development landscape as as i showed and it is being done in that way it is now going way beyond academia and we have bridges towards other ministerial sectors we have mixed teams we have research that is being developed in private companies so it it, it has to be a fact of the state or the government but also the 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 socioeconomic world has to contribute and to participate into promoting r d Thank you. Thank you. I think uh, we, we have been, it's nearly uh, half past uh, uh, half, uh, half past five. It's been an amazing discussion. Uh, for me as a chair, from what I'm hearing from, from all of you, from all this brain power for, for is this, you know, senior managers and academics in Algeria. I think as Mohammed said, uh, the massification, democratization of teaching, it's not all negative. Uh, this is, a, I would say, is a social acquisition. Algeria, because of this, is among the best African country, if not the best African country in terms of human development index. And that is an acquisition. Of course, at certain stage, you have to go to, to equality. I think the fact that Algeria is exporting uh, a brain capital, it's not also a negative thing. It means that there is there is, there is production of, of, of talents in Algeria that could be exported. Otherwise, the, the potential and the absorption capacity on the other side of the Mediterranean Sea, we're not absorbing something that is not usable. So that is on the positive side. I think Hayat said that something extremely positive. And uh, she said to us that we should not politicize uh, an academic process or education. I, I really like this, Hayat, to, to be fair, because of course, there is unemployment. Of course, there is poverty. Of course, there is uh, inequality. But th these problems are macro, are national, are African, are, are regional. So they're not a problem of the university on itself. So that it could be quite dangerous 
to 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 give the university the the burden to bear all these and to academics or to university teachers. I think that's anything that we we need to be moving forward is is to depassionate the debate and to not politicize it. Khawla uh, said something extremely interesting also from from my take in. We need to be diverse. So it's not this or that. So why why we not why we we haven't been teaching Tamazi? Why we have why have we been teaching specific type of Arabic? We also when we teach a language, as Khawla said, we need to teach the philosophical, foundational, and 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 ethics of that language, because you know you know English language is about you know uh, intuitive rationality that is a very different from you know the, the rationality of Descartes. And 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 thinking in English or in the Anglo-Saxon way is very different than thinking in in the French way. So I think that's what Khawla is is bringing to the table to say, wait wait second, you know, thinking in a language in in the highest and the deep fundamental philosophical uh, values of that language. So I think uh, I will. It's, it's been amazing to 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 listen to you all. Uh, I think the journey is still on. And uh, we, there is other generations that will, will, will finish the job, certainly. Thank you very much. Uh, it's a pleasure also to say that uh, the winners of uh, the Middle East Center and the Society of Algerian Studies have uh, given two prize winners for the MSc dissertations. Uh, I think uh, our colleague Nadine will put the link. So one is, is about the national war and one is about uh, uh, the Salafism in, in Algeria. So uh, the first the first prize is from a student from the London School of Economics, and the second prize is from a student from the University of Edinburgh. Bravo to the winners. And uh, I, I'm really sure if, if you have time, you could read what is being written about Algeria from, from British students, and, and thanks for, for the interest. Thank you very much indeed, and once again, apologies for for the technical issues that we had here in, 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 in France. And thanks for, uh, for joining us. And we look forward for the next event on the Middle East Center and the Society of Algerian Studies. Bye-bye, everyone, and have a great weekend. Bye -bye.